Let's uh, go to Luke chapter number 2. Passage we are spending our Christmas season in. Luke chapter 2, the story of the shepherds. Very familiar passage for us. Our primary focus is on verse number 10 and verse number 11. Last couple of weeks, I, I've read to you out of different translations. New American Standard on the first Sunday, the King James last Sunday. Today, I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Version. So just settle in for a while. This one's longer than the rest. Um, there's something I like about that translation, though. It, when the commentators debate which word they should put in, you know, this word there, that word that, they put them both. They figure, well, that would cover that base. So, as I read through it, you're going to say, well, it doesn't always go real smooth, but they cover a lot of bases. So, here's the amplified version of Luke 2. You can follow along in your text, verse 8 through verse 20. And in that vicinity, there were shepherds living out under open sky in the field, watching in ships over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by them, and the glory of the Lord flashed and shone all about them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be to all the people. For to you is born this day in the town of David a Savior, who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, by which you will recognize him. You will find, after searching, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Then suddenly there appeared with the angel an army of the troops of heaven, a heavenly knighthood, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased men of good will, of his favor. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing, this saying that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went in haste, and by searching found Mary and Joseph and the babe, baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known what had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it were astonished, and astounded and marveled at what the shepherds told them. But Mary kept, but Mary was keeping within herself all these things, these sayings and weighing and pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen just as it had been told them. It's an exciting passage to read this way, isn't it? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this message that you brought down to the earth to tell us about our Savior being born. This is significant for us, even today, as we not only have a holiday we use to rejoice and celebrate over that fact, but we have even more calls than just for the sake of a holiday. It's because we have a Savior, that we have forgiveness of sins, and that we have eternal life, and that we have a relationship with you in the first place. And I thank you so much for sending your Son. 
Today, as we spend our time focused upon this passage, do within our hearts the work that you intend. Help us to grow in our understanding and certainly in our love for you. And we thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in uh, Luke chapter number 2, verse number 10, where I have been for the last couple of weeks, the angel says, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. I've been breaking that into little pieces as we worked our way through there. Based on that little passage that we've been looking at in Romans chapter 8, that said that God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And there's a lot of gifts that we are discovering here in this passage in Luke chapter 2. The primary thing is Jesus Christ. That's God's gift to us. The Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the emphasis we will give this all the way through this passage. Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And you know the rest of that. And I ask you to think personally right now. When I say, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to ask yourself, do I believe? Am I one of these? He says, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I hope you're one of the whoever's today. When you go through this passage, the fact that God gave His Son is clearly, clearly stated. I speak of joy today. Great joy. And it's kind of an interesting thing, because it's, a, it's kind of a quandary for the pastor. How do you preach on joy? When, when you think about it, it's kind of like, you know, I tell you to smile when you sing. Right? How do you, do you manufacture joy? Do you force joy? You know, be happy or else? Is that the approach that we take when we, when we say, have joy? How do you measure that? How do you know if you're doing that? What, what is it? Is it always an outward manifestation? If that's true, then years back we had the most joyful person ever to sit in this pew. That was Wanda Vance. She always had that smile of joy on her face. I picture it even to this day. When I read these words and I read about words like joy, she smiled constantly. Maybe she didn't have any other expression. But I just love that, that, that picture of joy. And I, is that what joy is? A constant smile? A, 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 how do you do that? And the question is a pastor. How do you... Preach on that. And, and what's the application that goes with such a thing? You see, that makes it kind of interesting because I'm not the kind who would go out of my way to, to create something or make it fancy or such like that. I just take what the text says and deliver it to you. That's my goal each and every week is just to preach God's word as it is. And it says great joy today. And so I couldn't help but stop and think throughout this week. Do I have that? Do you have that? Was it something given to us by the Lord? The passage in this, is, that we're looking at here, 
there are three things, that, or two things I've mentioned already. The first was a gift to perceive your need. Do not be afraid. I mean, God gave us that ability to be afraid. To show us that we had a need. And we talked about that several weeks ago. That is a gift. To be able to perceive your need of a Savior. That is an enormous gift. The Lord gave us that. He also gave us news. Good news. When we rightly deserve bad news, didn't we? But we talked about that last week. And now we're going to measure one more great joy. I call it the gift of great joy. Gift of great joy. The angel's message, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Great joy. There's a translation that's out. They call it the King James Three. You heard of that one yet? It's interesting. Um, a guy by the name of Green is one of those who have been working on this, and, and this is his phrase. The angel said to them, Do not fear, for behold, I proclaim good news to you, a great joy, which will be for all the people. There's an interesting construction in the language he's trying to capture there. And it always comes out a little bit awkward, I think, in our way of expressing it, because we're used to saying, good tidings of great joy, right? And we figure that the great joy is describing the tidings. When technically, the verb is proclaiming good tidings. That's the verb. Usually we say the verb is proclaiming, and good tidings is what it's doing. But actually, the verb is actually proclaiming good tidings. The object of that verb is joy. It is proclaiming joy, if you want to make it simple. That's the construction of it, and it's modified with an adjective, great. That's what the angel was doing when the angel came to make the proclamation. I am declaring joy to you. That's the thing that we're going to try to focus on today. To understand, what does it mean? Uh, it is the, they were proclaiming joy, a great joy. A great joy. It's a gift, I tell you. It's a gift that comes with Jesus Christ. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. I trust that you do. We talk about it a lot here. Does He give you joy? Yeah. That's funny how we do that, isn't it? Of course I'm happy. It's, 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 we say, yes, there is joy in serving Jesus. We sing that song. In my heart, down in my heart, there is joy, 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 down in... You know that song? You've sung it before. These kind of songs, we, we sing the word joy an awful lot. If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have good news. But you also have great joy. You have great joy. In my early teens, 
I grew up with a black and white television. Many of you understand that. The Rose Parade. Every year, 30 different shades of gray. Now, I said, what's so impressive about all that? Everything went through. is gray, black and white, gray, black and white. I used to tease the kids that uh, that's all we saw even in this whole world. There was no color. Everything was black and white. That's the kind of world I grew up in. And then one day, my dad brought home a colored TV. That was a whole new world. That was incredible for us to say, wow, look at the color. We didn't know there was color outside. So you go out and you see. You say, okay, it's color. That's different. That's different. Some people are like this when they come to know Christ as their Savior. In a, in a rough kind of way, but as they had before, understood misery, conviction, shame, guilt, and all the pain and, the, and all that goes along with that, they come to know Christ as their Savior, and they say, the whole world looked different. Maybe you were like that. You'd step outside and say, you know, the sun was brighter than it's ever been. I've heard people make those comments, too. Like, there was a whole new perception on things. Because suddenly they knew Christ as Savior. I just wonder, as we talk about these things, if we truly understand what they mean by great joy, what is it that they proclaimed that meant great joy? And do we know it? And do we know it? Let's just break it down a little bit. I'm going to start with the adjective, megas is the word. You see it all the time. It's in the large containers of tissue paper, the mega rolls. All right, that means big, right? Many, much. That's the nature of that adjective in the Greek, megas. It's, it's covered a lot of territory over the years. It could mean exceeding. It could mean great, which it does in this text. Abundant. How about that one? Put that back in the text for a minute. I... I I give you good news of abundant joy. Weighty. It could mean extraordinary. And that's kind of true too, isn't it? I give you good news of extraordinary joy. Wonderful is the way it's been translated. Also, or if you like this too, intense. Intense joy. I give to you vehement joy. That's a word we don't use too often, but it's, it's pretty powerful. Matter of fact, it, it gets even more powerful. It's used for fierce at times. It's used for violent at times. Now, that doesn't sound too Christmassy, does it? I bring to you good news of violent joy. It just doesn't seem to match. But that's the adjective that also speaks of severe or surprising Sometimes, when it's working in the form of an adverb, it means perfectly. Or sometimes it means terribly. Whatever it does, it enhances the measurement. What is high is now higher. What is large is now larger. What is loud is now louder. Whatever is mighty is stronger. It's If it was wide, it's it's wider. It's large. It's spacious. 
It covers ground and territory. It covers height and length. It covers stature and age. As in an older type of person or a greater in years, so to speak. It covers numbers. It covers quantity with large and abundant and numerous. It covers uh, intensity. It covers degrees. It covers effort. It covers affections. It covers emotions of the mind, especially. It talks about things that are powerful to our senses. It's an incredible word. They use it for rank. When they want to talk about those who are, are uh, eminent, they're greater in this or that. Their virtue is greater. Their authority is greater. Their power is greater. Uh, they talk about moments. Moments of history as important days. This great day. Or this important day or this day that you know you've got to write on the calendar. It's one you'll never forget. It's used in that sense. It's used for things that are highly esteemed. We could put the word excellent next to such a word like this. It could talk about what that which is splendid, that which is prepared on a grand scale, something that is very stately. Now, how many different ways do you want to use this word today? I could say it's a great word, can't I? Because that's the nature of the word. It just explodes everything around it to a greater degree. So, if the angel was going to give them joy, he wasn't giving them a small dose. Great is the word that's attached to it. Whatever you set beside that word, it gets better. Great joy. Great joy. Now let's go to the noun. Since you got a picture of the, of the adjective, the word joy is fascinating. Say, well, it sounds like an easy word. It, it is. It's a word for gladness. It, it's the word for rejoicing or happiness or, or cheerfulness. Here's its technical definition. You want it? Calm delight. Isn't that sweet to hear those two words together? Calm delight. That is not a five-year-old on Christmas morning. Right? That's what you'd like things to be like. Calm delight. But that's the nature of this word. It's not hysterical. It's not wild. It's, it's not uh, jumping up and down. You know, there is a Christmas passage that does have jumping up and down joy. It had to do with the wise men. When they saw the star, it says they rejoiced exceedingly. And the Greek word there is, they were jumping up and down. And I, I've never seen it in flannel graph, but I think it'd be great to see those guys jumping up and down because they see, that's the five-year-old on Christmas morning. This is calm delight. A calm delight. It comes from a very interesting root word. This is what I like, because I love playing with words. I don't know if you've noticed that. I just love words. Here's, what it, here's how bad it's been. When I was in high school, we were given an opportunity for some elective classes for our last semester, and I chose the one class called Words, Words, Words. It was all vocabulary words for a whole semester. It was fun. It was so much fun learning all these words all over the place. But when I see words, I always say, what does it go to? 
what is it related to? I, I like family trees and tracing family trees and trying to find, a, you know, the common denominator between this and this and this. And when I started to look up joy and trace its little branches to where it came from, you're going to find something very interesting here. Because as I worked it through, the root word itself was the verb to be full of cheer, to be well off. They used it for greetings. They used it like we would say, uh, Godspeed or farewell, farewell. You know, do well, be glad, uh, rejoice is the way it's often found in the New Testament. As Paul would finish up a letter, Second Corinthians. Rejoice was the last thing he pretty much told him to do. So we see that as, a, as that kind of a word, but I kept digging into it a little deeper and deeper, saying, where does this family tree come? And I found something interesting, because joy has a relative. And this relative is a very close relative. On the tree, it would be a brother or a sister, that close. That same root for uh, being full of cheer has produced joy and grace. The same root word for both of them. They're like sisters, if you will. Joy and grace. And we talk a lot about grace, don't we? How valuable is that word to us? We speak of it all the time in context to Jesus Christ. This message that we see here even in Luke chapter 2. The angel said in declaration... Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Then the angel defined that in verse number 11. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the definition of good news. He is the definition of great joy. You have to put these two together. Because... You can't honestly have joy the way Scripture describes it apart from Jesus Christ. You cannot. Do you know why I say that so dogmatically? Because when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Is that true? And the Holy Spirit produces His fruit in you. And the Holy Spirit's fruit is love. Oh, it's right there. That's God's joy in you. You cannot have that apart from Jesus Christ. You see? You cannot have it apart from Jesus Christ. That's how simple this is. Because I believe joy is, if I could call it this, and I don't know if it's technically right to say it this way, our spiritually natural reaction to a Savior. The fact that we have a Savior... We should have a response to that. I suggest the two words are inseparable. You can't have good news without great joy. They go together. Just like grace goes with our Savior. They must go together. Jesus even claimed to possess the joy. Did you know that? In John chapter 15, verse number 11, this is the way he said this. He's talking to his disciples. He says, these things have I spoken to you so that my joy, he just took possession of it. My joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be made full. He says that. Matter of fact, if you go through John 14, 15, 16 in that passage which Jesus is talking, he claims three things. Joy, my joy. Peace, my peace. Love, my love. They belong to him. They are his to give. Goes with the gift. The gift of great joy. In Ephesians chapter number 2, a powerful little passage that I love to think about. After it talks about us having been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I say, wow, that's wonderful. Because before I was lost, before I was, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and now he's made me alive together with Christ. He's given me a seat in heaven in Christ Jesus. He who saw me as an enemy saw me as a sinner, saw me as a hopeless individual, loved me, gave his son for me, drew me to himself, and by grace I am saved through faith. I love that section of scripture. But what carries the rest of that in Ephesians 2, verse 7, 8, 9 are these words. So that in the ages to come, these days are coming, folks, God might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That grace is because of Jesus Christ. That grace came to you because of God's kindness to you. That grace is something that's going to be modeled by you for eternity. That is related to the joy we'll talk about today. That grace. That grace that He's given to you. Doesn't that excite your heart that you're saved by grace? It should. It should. And as I read these passages, it says, so that He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's for the ages to come. Ages, folks. Think about it. We won't get bored with the theme in heaven. It's going to go on and on and on and on and on. We will never have our fill of it. Because we're going to talk about it all the time. That's exciting. As I started the sermon today, I I wonder if I think about that often enough. I wonder if that joy really is in my heart. That I should express it like Scripture expresses it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, you know as well as I do, joy never negates sorrow. It doesn't. Joy does not erase difficulty. Some would even say that the deeper the sorrow is, the deeper the joy can be. Some of you might understand that. Joy does go with good news. We know that. But you can have joy right in the middle of bad news. You know that? The one man who wrote the most about joy in the New Testament, you want to guess his name? 
the author of Philippians. Does that help? Oh, okay. Paul. Where was he? He was in prison. He's writing to the Philippians. Did the Philippians understand anything about prisons? You know, the first time Paul came to that town, guess where he spent the night? In their prison. He had been beaten. He had been put in stocks. Him and his, his co-worker Silas were there. And they're in stocks. They're, laid, they're beaten, torn to bits by whips and all the rest. And they're in prison. They start singing out of joy in their heart. You can go back to Acts 16 and read that story. So now later, Paul's writing to the Philippians. He's writing from another prison. It's like that, that must be his return address on every envelope he sends. Paul in prison. He went through some terrible, terrible difficulties. And he could write the book on joy. And he did with that letter. Sometimes just spend a little time. You say, I I don't know if I understand joy. Just read through Philippians. There's only four chapters. And see if you don't come away with a better understanding of what joy looks like. Because it's not about getting the fancy gifts. It's not about whether or not you have the right lights put up. It's not whether or not there's a, a good tune on the radio. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to stress that. And I want to show you that today. All right? Just so you understand, I'm not, I'm not using cliches here this morning. I'm not just throwing out some, you know, cute sayings and such like that. You cannot have joy without your focus on Christ. And I'll show you that, because it's very important that you understand what I'm trying to say to you. Jesus Christ himself epitomized it. When he, looking at a cross, Looked at it with joy. You say, huh? Listen to these words. Hebrews 12, verse 2. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. One commentator said, what greater joy could there be than the realization and wholehearted acceptance of the fact that God himself, through the sacrifice of his one and only Son, has brought about the solution to the world's greatest problem, that of sin? And was not the Son's incarnation the first step in that solution? Does it bring you joy to know that the solution for sin is found in Jesus Christ. John Calvin, I I bring him up every now and then, but his comments, especially in this passage, are quite, uh, I, I would say, captivating. And these are the words that he wrote for this passage. The angel opens his discourse by saying that he announces great joy and next, uh, next assigns the ground or matter of joy that is, a Savior is born. These words show us first that until men have peace with God and are reconciled to Him through the grace of Christ, all the joy they have experienced is deceitful and is of short duration. Ungodly men frequently indulge in frantic and intoxicating mirth, but if there be none to make peace between them and God, the hidden Things of conscience may produce fearful torment, 
Besides, to whatever extent they may flatter themselves in luxurious indulgence, their own lusts are so many tormentors. By calling it great joy, he shows us not only that we ought, above all things, to rejoice in the salvation brought to us by Christ, but that this blessing is so great and boundless, really more than anything when we say it compensates for the pain. Oh, it's better than that. When we say that this joy helps us through our distress, it's, it's better than that. When it says it helps me with my, my anxiety, it's even better than that. Because it's great. And how do you put a measurement on that one? This is what he continues to say. When we go out to measure the greatness of this joy, we're examining an ocean with a teaspoon. Think of that. Trying to measure it all. It really comes down to this. Let us learn to be delighted with Christ alone, that the perception of His grace may overcome. I want to show you a couple of passages and walk you through some episodes in history with the Jews concerning the word joy. Here's one instance I bring to you. It's found in First Corinthians, First Chronicles, chapter thirteen, in verse number eight. David wanted so much to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. To him, that meant everything. There was not a temple built yet, but he says, "At least let's bring the Ark. The Ark is just out there in a the tent. Let's bring it in here. We'll put up a tent here." And it says in that passage in First Chronicles thirteen eight. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might. That's quite a scene. Even with songs and with the lyres and the harps and the tambourines and the cymbals and with trumpets. And David called on the chiefs of the Levites, appointed their relatives even, the singers, with instruments of music. Gave them harps and lyres and loud sounding cymbals to raise sounds of joy. I think it had to have been a very impressive day. To see that happen. But you know it wasn't long in Israel's history that they lost their love for their Lord. That ark came to mean nothing to them. That temple that was later constructed was, was not meaning anything to them. Because they had turned away from the Lord and they turned to idols. They turned to all kinds of sin. They were being punished by the Lord. Even to the point they were thrown out of the land. And here's where I want to bring you to a thought. If you go over to Psalm 137. 137. This is the point I want to especially emphasize for you. Psalm 137. It's a very short psalm. You're going to say, Pastor, this is the most unusual Christmas passage you've ever preached from. You ready? Here they are in captivity. They're in Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captives demanded of us a song, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing for us one of the songs of Zion. And we said, How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May the roof of may the tongue my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. And then he says something that's really astounding in the next two verses. And people say, Well, what's that in there for? 
Think of these folks. They are now without their joy. Instead, their hearts are bitter. As bitter as you can make a heart. And they're thinking about those that they consider to be responsible, that they are in, in bondage. And they bring up two groups. The Edomites are one. The Babylonians are another. And to the Edomites, they say this. Verse 7, Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Israel, the day of Jerusalem, saying, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. It was Edom that was in the bleachers, folks. They were rooting for the Babylonians to smash that city. And Israel listened to it and heard it that day, and they were crushed by it. And they said, Don't forget those guys. They robbed us of our joy. And then they turned their attention to Babylon. And it says in verse 8, O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed is the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Yuck! Is that really in there? You know where that's from? A very bitter heart. A heart that's been through the worst. And you say, okay, Pastor, what's the point? What were they lacking? They said it. They said it right there in the middle. But they said something significant. How can we sing? They said, we can't do it. We can't sing. Because verse number 6 says, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Okay. Now, hold that. Very next Psalm, 138. I will give thanks to you with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. And you have magnified your word according to your name. Do you know there's a difference between the two psalms? The first one, their focus was on Jerusalem as their joy. The second psalm, the focus was on the Lord was their joy. You see a difference? When you put all your, your joy on things or places or people or such like that, disappointment's there with it. The bitterness could come up very quickly because things can change in a hurry. You focus on the Lord. You know what? He never changes. <laughs> He's always there. He loves you the same today as He did yesterday. His truth is unending. His grace is always for you. His salvation is yours forever. He gives you peace. He gives you joy. He gives you life. He gives you love. What's going to change? You see the difference? That's why I tell you, without Christ, you don't have real joy. Because you're going to focus it on something else that will fail. Christ will never fail you. There's our good news, folks. That's why it's good news of great joy. That's why they preached great joy in this passage. I ran over today, but I couldn't help it. Had to share with you. Great joy. I want to ask you now again. Do you have great joy? Do you have great joy? I'm not talking about, are you happy? Do you know Christ as your Savior? That's where it comes from. 
This morning as we go into prayer, if you need to talk to him about that, please do. Because he's the only one that can give you great joy. I can't give it to you. Only he can. Heavenly Father, you know every single person in this room right now, and especially where they are with you in their relationship. You know whether or not they know you, whether or not they've received Christ as Savior, whether or not they truly know this joy we've talked about today. It's easy for us to put our our focus on the things of this world, on the cities, on the places, on the people, on the events, on the songs. We focus on so many things that we try to make into a joyful thing. When all the while, our true joy comes from Jesus Christ and the grace that we've been given through him. And Lord, I pray today, if there's somebody among us who needs to know Christ as Savior today, draw them to yourself as only you can do. But Lord, for the majority of us, I believe, who do know you as our Father and our Savior as the Lord Jesus Christ, we have great joy, and we thank you for it. May it show, not not so much in uh, a ridiculous way or a silly way, but in the calm delight that we know our Savior. May people notice the difference. Thank you, Father, for what you've given to us. What a priceless gift. We give you the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.